We are in this series, A Father is More. We're going to be wrapping it up next week on Baptism Sunday. You guys are in for a treat. Uh, it's going to be a great service, a family service. Pastor Aaron's going to bring an amazingly fun, entertaining message because we got some family elements that you have never, ever, I promise you, you've never seen before. And Pastor Aaron is so unique, you may never, ever see it again. Actually, you can watch it anytime on YouTube, so you can see all that you want. Uh, but it's going to be a great service next Sunday. We're really looking forward to that. But we are in this series of Father is More, talking about the fact that each of us, every human being is born with this father-shaped hole in their lives. It's not anything we ask for. It's not something we uh, are conditioned by. It's the way God designed us. And God designed us with this father-shaped hole because he designed families. And his intent was for that hole to be filled by your biological father. But the reality is, because of uh, all kinds of circumstances and situations, there are times where your father can't fill that hole. And so God then allows or brings in or wants to fill that hole through father figures. But sometimes that doesn't happen. And there are a lot of people who live life never having that father-shaped hole filled in their lives. And sadly, many people, uh, the, the father figures or the fathers that they do have in their lives the impact, the, uh, the role that they play is not positive, it's negative. It's hurtful, it's damaging, it's anything but good. For example, uh, years ago, I wasn't even at this church, I was pre uh, preaching at a different church, and um, I was talking about the blessing of a father, how a father can bless their children, and, and how that works and what that looks like. And, and afterward, I was talking with folks and, and just encouraging them and, and just you know, chit chat, all that kind of stuff. And this young man comes up to me and he says, pastor, thank you for that message. It was, it was really good. I, I wish my dad would have done those things for me. But unfortunately he was too busy abusing me and beating me day after day after day. And I looked at him and I said, I, I am, I am so, that's not what a dad's supposed to be. He says, it's just the way life is. And he turned and walked away. The reality is that story isn't just isolated to that one young man. It is far too frequent that we hear stories about that. I remember reading a story about one man. He was um, writing this. He was in his uh, mid to late 30s at this point. But he said when he was about nine years old, uh, he was afflicted with an illness. Still, they still don't know really what it was. But as a result, they had to put him into a medically induced coma. And while he was in a coma, they were trying to... Um, figure out a treatment and ways to, to deal with what was going on. And after a season of time, uh, about a week to 10 days, the treatment that they were giving began to be effective. And so they said, we're going to bring him out of this coma. And so that takes some time and they weren't sure how quick his, he would actually come out of that. And, and, but as the young boy, nine years old, is beginning to come out of this coma, his dad is standing there uh, by the bedside. And, and his natural reaction, this boy's natural reaction was as he's beginning to see and understand what's happening around him, he sees his dad and he reaches out to give him a hug. At that, the father stands back, says, you're not that sick. Not that sick. You don't even deserve a hug from your father. Remember hearing another story, this dad said he wanted to teach his daughter uh, about trust. His six-year-old daughter said, I want you to learn about trust. So here's what I want you to do, sweetie. I want you to get up on the dining room table. And, and I want you, I'm going to stand back here, and I want you to jump as far as you can, and I'm going to catch you. So you jump, and, and, she's, and she said, it's, it's too high. I'm scared. I, I don't want to do it. He said, you can do it. 
I believe in you. I'll catch you. You can trust me. She said, okay. So she mustered all the strength and all the determination she could. And she leaps as far as she can. And as she's in the air, the father goes and smash. The little girl crashes to the floor, begins to cry. She says, daddy, why didn't you catch me? He said, because I wanted you to learn in life you can never trust anyone. See, the damage that dads do reaches far and wide. And it hurts, and it's a pain that's there. Dads who have abandoned us, dads who were harsh, dads who were distant, dads who were unloving and unkind. Dads, dads have impacted us uh, by the things that they've done, the way they uh, taught us to view people, the way they taught us to uh, view success, the things they demanded of us. Dads that were apathetic and passive, who allowed chaos to reign and never addressed unruly behavior. The, the, the reach is far and wide, but the impact that dads have goes far. And it, we will carry that pain often throughout our lives. So in talking about that, I know it's going to stir up for some people some pain. It's going to bring some emotions to the surface. And so what I want to do here today is I want to do two things. First, I want to talk a little bit about the process of finding inner healing from those wounds that we carry. And it is a process. This isn't a snap your fingers and everything's better. It's a process. But then I also want to talk about what a good dad looks like, the power of a good dad. Because there is a power for the negative, but there's also a power for the positive. And if you don't have those positive things to draw on, where is it that God wants you to look to find that father figure to fill that hole in your life? Because that pain you carry, regardless of the source and the cause of the pain, that pain is real. Whether it's from your father, a stepfather, a coach, a, 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 a pastor, a religious leader, a family member, whatever the source of that pain, it's real. Abandonment, abuse, neglect, the pain of watching someone struggle with substance abuse, and it has impacted you so deeply that sometimes years and years and decades later, that pain is still there. And most of us say, I would do anything to get rid of the pain. I, I just, I don't want to carry this pain anymore, but as much as we try to get rid of the pain, we can't. And the reason we can't get rid of the pain is we can't forget the memory. And so unbidden and unwanted at times when we least expect it, sometimes it's the quietness when we quiet our own thoughts in our mind and we lay our head down on our pillow at night and other times we could be in a crowded room we could be having a great time hanging out with friends and having a good old time and out of the blue, a thought, something we see out of the corner of our eyes, something we, we, we smell, triggers a response and the, the memory comes flooding back in and with the memory come the, comes all the pain and the hurt and the trauma that goes with it. So what are we supposed to do about that? Because we want to forget, but we can't. But this is what the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 19. It says, it's to a man's honor to forgive and forget a wrong done to him. Some translations say it's, it's to a person's glory to overlook an offense. What does that mean? First of all, what it doesn't mean is to um, pretend it didn't happen. I'm not saying you pretend it didn't happen. It doesn't mean that somehow you um, say it didn't really matter, didn't really bother me. 
when it really did matter and it really does bother you. What it means is that you no longer allow this uh, thing that happened to you to dominate your life. That somehow you can find it by God's grace to look past the offense, to, to find forgiveness and healing, to forget what happened. And we're going to talk about what that means, but I just want to say this, to forgive does not diminish the wrongness of what they did, nor does it mean you cannot establish boundaries. Listen, what they did was wrong, and it's wrong, and it'll always be wrong. Forgiving them doesn't validate, justify, or somehow excuse what they did. It's not really even about them. Forgiving is about you so that you can find the inner healing that you long for. Because as long as you carry that, it will continue to weigh your life down. And so forgiving doesn't mean that it justifies or excuses or diminishes what they did. And it also doesn't mean you can't establish boundaries. There are times you need to say, I've forgiven you, but you can't have access. I've forgiven you, but this isn't going to happen again. I've forgiven you, but I have to cut off this relationship. And they'll play, I thought you forgive me. If you forgive me, then you can't cut off the relationship. No, I do forgive you. But choices have consequences. See, part of learning to forget, see, what we'll say is I'll never forget. I can never forget what my dad did, the way he hurt me, the way he, he, he didn't love me, the way he abandoned me. I'll never forget that moment when he walked out of my life. I'll never forget that day when he said that thing, that day he came into my room and did that thing. I'll never, ever, ever forget. But by God's Holy Spirit and by his grace, he will help us to find a path forward to find healing. If there's anyone in the Bible that would be justified in carrying the wounds and the hurts of the past, it would be the Old Testament uh, person named Joseph. So if you're not familiar with Joseph, his story is recorded for us in the book of Genesis. But he, he's a son. He's got a lot of brothers. His dad is a guy named Jacob. He's got a bunch of brothers and, uh, and his brothers are jealous of him. They're like, your daddy's favorite. Dad likes you more than us. He bought you this really nice coat and he didn't buy us a coat. And, uh, you know, and he makes us work out in the field and you get to stay home and hang out in, in, the, in the nice breezy area. And, and, you know, this is wrong. And they got mad at, at Joseph. So mad that one day they decide, hey, we're going to kill him. He thinks he's dad's favorite. He thinks he's going to get everything. He thinks he's better than us. He thinks he's going to rule over us. He thinks he's going to get all the inheritance and be our boss. It ain't going to happen. They said, we're out in the field, we're working hard. Joseph's never out because dad doesn't make him work because he's daddy's favorite. But when he shows up to rub it in our face that he's uh, at home with his little soft hands, we're gonna beat him senseless and kill him. And we'll tell dad a bear ate him. Now, that might be a spirit hurt right there, right? That might, that might hurt your soul a little bit. So Joseph shows up, but then they decide, wait, what benefit is it to us to kill our brother? We have a better idea. Let's sell him. As a slave, slave traders come through here all the time. Let's sell him as a slave and make some coin off the guy. So they throw him in a pit and they wait and they wait and they wait. And eventually these slave traders come through. And so they take him out and they say, hey, we're going to sell our brother to you. So they get some money for him and off he's shipped to Egypt. In Egypt, he's bought by an Egyptian official named Potiphar. And, uh, and God blesses Joseph with just, he's, he's, he's an administrator. He's gifted. He's diligent. And so he's, he's raised up to basically be in charge of all of Potiphar's household. But while he's there, he's accused of attempted rape. He didn't do it, but he's accused of uh, attempted rape. And so he's thrown in prison. 
But even in prison, he remains a man of integrity and his commitment to God is consistent and he is given influence even in the prison and the ability to, to uh, interpret dreams. And in prison at some point, these two officials from uh, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, uh, two officials from his house are thrown in prison and they have dreams and Joseph interprets the dream. And he says, now make me a promise. When you get out of here, remember me. Well, one of the guys doesn't get out. He's executed. The other guy does get out and he forgets. Joseph. But through a series of events, he eventually um, says, hey, there's this guy who can interpret dreams. And Joseph is by God's uh, sovereignty and by his consistency is raised to second in command in all of Egypt. So the people that Joseph loved, the people that he was faithful to, the people that he was loyal to hated him, wanted to kill him, falsely accused him and forgot him. If there was anyone who had an ax to grind, it was Joseph. I'll never forget what they did. I'll never forgive them. And when I get my chance, I'm paying them back twofold. He gets out of prison, second in command of Egypt. Man, he could have found that uh, Pharaoh official who forgot him and said, hey, you remember me? You should have. We're going to have a time of reckoning. But instead, he shows grace. He could have hunted Potiphar down and said, you falsely accused me of rape. You threw me in. You didn't even give me a fair trial. You know what? You got yours. And when his brothers show up begging for food, he could have said, hey, you cut me, I'm cutting you. But he doesn't do any of that. He's gracious, he's kind, he's forgiving, he's merciful. How did he find it in his heart to do that? Because I don't know if I would have it in my heart, but it is a gift from God. It is to a man's honor, to his glory, to forgive and forget. So this is what it says of Joseph in Genesis chapter 41. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Forgetting is a gift from God. And he says, by God's grace, I have forgotten all the troubles that I've forgotten everything that happened to me. Now, it says he forgot all the members of his father's household. But did he really forget? We're going to talk about that. But here's one of the things that we need to learn just from that one verse. And here it is. If you are unwilling to forgive and forget, it will keep you from finding inner healing. If you say, I, I won't forget, I'll never forget and I'll never forgive. You, you have every right to have that posture. It doesn't reflect the heart of God, but you have every right to hold on to that. The problem is the healing that you want, finding freedom from that pain that you constantly carry, that ache in your heart that you wish to God would go away, will never, ever, ever go away as long as you hold on to the pain, as long as you hold on to the offense, as long as you say, I will not forgive and I will not forget. Then it will keep coming back and back and back. So how do we forget? You say, I'll gladly forget, Pastor. I'd forget if I could. But I can't forget. We talked about this. You, you told me. And no matter what I do, I keep remembering. How do I forget? In order to understand what it means to forget, we have to understand, um, we have to understand the word differently. See, we, we think in the terms of forget means I don't remember anymore. And, and by that we mean I, I don't recall it. It's like we have amnesia. I can no longer actually remember that event. I have no memory of it. That's what we think forget means. But that's not what forget means in the Bible. Forget and remember are two terms that are linked together. 
And, and in the Bible, they are covenant terms. They reflect God's covenant commitment to his people. He made a covenant with them. So with, with Noah, he made a covenant, right? And, and he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to build this ark. The flood's going to come. I'm going to preserve the human race and life on earth through you. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 8. It says, God remembered Noah and all the animals that were with him in the ark. Does that mean at some point God, like, forgot about Noah? He's got a whole universe. He's got stars and planets and moons. He's got, he's got the whole universe that he's in charge of. And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, there's a flood. And oh, I almost forgot <laughs> Noah. Glad I remembered that boy. No, the idea of remember isn't that he had no memory. Uh, so for me, right, I'm, I'm almost, I'm going to be 50 next year. And so this is what he asks, glory to Jesus. <laughs> I will walk into a room with every intent of doing a task, of getting an object. And then I walk in the room and I cannot remember what I did. Why am I here? And so I'll stand there trying to look all like I got, and my wife will say, what are you doing? Yeah, give me time, I'll remember. I don't know, but I'm here for a reason. <laughs> but that's not God. God didn't, you know, oh yeah. The, the idea of remember is this. In, in the covenant, in the biblical terms, when, a covenant, when it comes to a covenant God, this is what remember means. Remember means to hold in the forefront of one's mind. So in other words, it wasn't that God forgot about Noah and then remembered. He didn't walk into the room and say, why am I here? He always remembered Noah. He, he was in the forefront of God's mind, the wind, the torment, the, the, the water that's pouring in, the, 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 the geysers that are erupting all over. And he's saying, there's Noah. And I will keep him and preserve him in life on earth through him. And he never forgot the way we think of forget. He remembered so the opposite of remember is to forget, right? To, to say, I can't, I have no recollection of this. But that's the way we view it. So in covenant terms, to not remember, to forget is different. So here's a verse in Isaiah. It says, I, this is God speaking. I will not remember your sins. I will remember your sins no more. I will forget your sins. But does that mean that God has no recollection of them? Some people will tell you, yes, that's what it means. It's not what it means. It means before we come to faith in God through Jesus Christ, in the forefront of God's mind, because God is holy and he cannot be connected to sin in God's holiness, what he sees in us in the forefront of our mind are the sins that we committed because he sees the sin. And so he sees us through the lens of sin. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, our sin is covered over. It's washed away. We are no, God no longer sees our sin. He sees us as righteous through God, through Jesus Christ, as justified, as saved, as no longer slaves to sin. He no longer sees our sin, but he remembers what we did. That's what makes the blood of Christ so powerful. It's not that God says, I forgive you, but I can't remember what I forgave you for. It's that God says throughout all of history, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you because the sacrifice of Jesus to God who is outside of time is as real today as it was for us some 2,000 years ago. And so when God says, I won't remember your sins any longer, he's saying, I will no longer hold the sin against you. 
So for us, when we say, when, when Joseph said, God has made me to forget all my troubles, it doesn't mean he doesn't remember them. When he says, God has made me to forget all the members of my family's house, it doesn't mean he couldn't like remember their names because when he sees them, he asks about his youngest brother. He wasn't like, oh, I forgot about you, but uh, who's that younger brother? No, they were there. It's meaning that he's no longer viewing them through the pain, through the hurt, through the things that they did. So to forget means this. It means to no longer think about someone based solely on what they did. Yes, you did this. Yes, it hurt. Yes, it was painful. But I am not going to allow that to dominate my life. I am going to choose to forget. So then Joseph has this encounter with his brothers. And they're really worried that he's going to take revenge on them. But this is what Joseph said. He said, you meant evil against me, but God turned your evil into good. God turned your evil into good. I haven't forgotten anything that you did. And I haven't forgotten you, but I am no longer going to focus on the evil that you intended. Instead, I'm going to focus on the goodness of God. And so for you, with the pain and the things that may have happened to you by fathers and father figures and people in your life, whatever the source, whatever the cause of the pain, it is real. And what you need to tell yourself over and over and over again is I'm choosing to forgive. I'm choosing to forget. I'm choosing to forgive. I'm choosing to forget. Because as you keep on forgetting what happened, it will lose its power in your life. So I forgive you. What you did was evil. I don't forget what you did, but I'm not going to fixate on what you did. I am going to focus on God's goodness. What you did tore my heart out and stomped it into a million pieces. And I'll never forget what you did, but I'm going to believe that God can use everything that I've walked through to bring something beautiful into my life. I'm not going to forget about the pain and the atrocity that you did and the way that you damaged me because it's inexcusable. But God can make something good out of this because God is a good God. And so I'm going to focus on God's goodness rather than on your evilness. Because if I focus on your evil, then all I'm going to do is relive that pain and that memory over and over and over, and it will dominate your life. But if you focus on God's goodness and you choose willingly to forget over and over and over, all of a sudden you have a life that God desires for you to have. That is the process to begin finding inner healing. And for some of us, that's where it starts. For some of us, we're going to have to go deeper than that. You're going to have to talk to a counselor, a professional Christian counselor, someone who can bring the word of God in a Christian worldview to bear on all the things that you've gone through so that they can help you process through that pain. And for all of us, if that happened from a father or a father figure, and you have that father-shaped hole in your life, what you need to do is find someone to fill that hole. And God's design and God's hope and God's heart for you is to have that hole filled by someone in the church because that's what God designed the church to be. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word church. It may come with all kind of baggage. It may come, come with all kind of uh, experiences. You may think of it's a, it's a man-made organization. It's a religious establishment. It's an institution. It's just simply a, a man-made construct. I don't know what comes into your mind, but what I want to do in my heart for everyone is that they would catch 
a vision of the breathtaking picture and the beauty that God intended for the church to be. Because Jesus birthed the church and he said, I want this to be a new community that goes so much deeper than simply friendships. I want the church to be a family where people loved and are being loved, where people serve and are being served, where people celebrate and they're being celebrated, where people grieve and they find comfort, where people hurt and they find help, where people are cared for, where love, justice, mercy, grace, and forgiveness rain down and are evident for everyone to see, where the Holy Spirit moves in power and where Jesus is lifted up, where the person and the message of Jesus is so prominent that everyone would say that is the only person and the only place and the only way in which my life and my future and my eternity can be changed forever. God says, I want you to operate as a family that loves unconditionally. See, when the church is being the church, it is the most beautiful thing. You say, I haven't seen a lot of churches that operate like that. Well, That's how families are supposed to be too. And sadly, I don't see a lot of families that operate like that. But your family can be different and this church can be different. This is how Peter writes it about what the church is supposed to be. You should be one big happy family full of sympathy toward each other, loving one another with tender hearts and humble minds. And God says, that's what I want. I want my church at the heart of my church. I want it to be about family where you operate as family and you invite other people in to be part of that family so that everyone can experience what a genuine, life-giving, helpful, affirming family is supposed to be because most people never experience that. So God says, I want that to happen through my church and that happens through spiritual fathers, through father figures who help fill that hole in people's lives. One of the greatest privileges of my life is to have been a father. I love it. I've got four kids, one grandkid, and it is, it is a thrill of my life. But outside of that, one of the things I love is being a father to the churches that I've had the privilege of pastoring. I've been pastoring for 23 years, and I have played that role in many different people's lives, and it's a great joy because it helps people to find that thing that's missing. Point them ultimately, as we're going to talk about next week, to the heart of our Heavenly Father. So I know a pastor, it wasn't this church, but I know a pastor that someone wrote this letter to them about the church. And they said this. They said, my father was a broken man, wounded from the scars of his life and his experiences in Vietnam. He was haunted by demons from which he just could not escape. Due to these circumstances, I lost my father a long time ago. I spent many years hurt over my lack of a father. But through this church, God has brought me a spiritual father. I can't express in words how healing it has been. God has used this church to mend wounds that I've lived with since childhood. That is what God wants for his church. Spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers to step in and fill those holes that people have. And it doesn't matter your age. Sometimes we think only in terms of children and and, and teenagers. But I have seen it with people in their uh, mid-20s, into their 30s, into their 40s, into their 50s and 60s, and even more seasoned than that, who have this hole in their heart. And when I will carve out time, have a cup of coffee with them, have lunch with them, 
someone that they can look to as a father figure or at least someone they look to with respect and I can say, here's how to live. Here's how to forgive and forget. Just be a model and an example to them. It's huge. I can't tell you how important it is for a young lady who's had her self-esteem smashed into a hundred thousand million pieces to have someone who's a father figure and has a father's heart for her to look her in the eyes and say, I think you're wonderful. I think you are magnificent. And I think that you are so much better than the sum of all the mistakes that you've ever made and all the things that, are ever, that have ever happened to you. And even if your father and mother forsake you, I'm going to walk with you because I see in you so much potential and I want the life that God dreams for you to come to pass. So what does that mean? It means we need to step up first in our own families, guys, in our own families, be the father that your children need, but then let your father's heart bleed over into the lives of others. I love seeing men serving our children's ministry because you're right there in the front lines with those elementary kids, those preschool kids. We have so many single moms and to be that father figure has a huge payoff in the end. So get involved in the children's ministry. Get involved in our student ministry. Help the the middle school and high school kids. Get involved in our young adult ministry. What now? There's so many opportunities. Start a group, lead a group, find someone where you could step in and fill that hole because what people need, what kids need, what everyone needs is to hear a father say, I love you. You're valuable. You're important. You're worth my time. To answer the questions that they're asking, is God real? What's my purpose? Why am I here? What do I do with the anger that I'm experiencing? How do I process the loneliness that I feel? And a father is designed to speak those words of life, health, healing, and wholeness. It doesn't mean moms aren't important. They are vitally important. But moms and dads play different roles. So I just want to say something to the moms, to the wives out here. Please, please, please hear me. Wives, moms, let your husbands be fathers. For, for the love of Jesus. They need their dads. They are different. I understand that. And there's times as a, I have a mom. You might be watching right now. My wife is an amazing mom. I've been married to her for 29 years. I've watched her invest and pour her life into her kids. But moms view things with kids different than dads do. I'm not talking about uh, operating out of anger. I'm not talking about abuse, uh, those kind of things. That's not what I'm talking about. But there are times a father's going to be more firm. And there's times the kids need a firm hand. Moms say, I'm drawing a line in the sand. It's more like a line in the air. It's there. Dads will line, draw a line in the concrete. And don't you even look on the other side of that line. Forget about crossing the line. Don't even think about it. It's just a difference. So, Kids need both. They need the tender nurturing of a mom, but they need the challenge and the charge of a father. So mom, and if you're a blended family, let your husband be the, well, he's not the biological father. You married him. Let him be a father figure in that child's life. The flip side is men, being a dad requires a whole lot more. Being a father means a whole lot more than just being there. You think you've done something because you haven't left? 
I mean, I guess staying is better than leaving, but sometimes not even because now you're distant, you're disconnected, and those wounds go deep. So just because I stayed, that's not a badge of honor. Being a father means investing. Being a father means open. Being a father means being available. Being a father means sacrificing. Being a father means laying down your life for your children. So there's a clip I want to play by uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes. I don't know what you think of Bishop Jakes. Uh, I don't care. Um, no. <laughs> you may agree with everything he's ever taught. You may not agree with everything he's ever taught. I don't agree with everything he's ever taught. I don't agree with everything I've ever taught. But I, but I, <laughs> but I know this. What he teaches right now in this little clip is important and is powerful. And, and we need to hear it. I used to think that the only time kids need fathers is when they're little. But you never outgrow your need for daddy. <laughs> she screamed at me and said, you've been my father, Bishop. We had a Father's Day here several years ago. And we, we always honored the mothers on Mother's Day. We pinned roses on the mothers. We decided to pin uh, corsages on the fathers. And we gave all the people corsages to pin on their fathers, but there weren't many fathers. So this one little boy got up and walked down the aisle and came and pinned the corsage on me. Because he said I was his father. Now he didn't know how to pin the corsage, so he stuck it into my chest. And I was too gracious to flinch. So I bled in silence. And then this grown man, about 38, 40 years old, came down and pinned another corsage on me and said, you're my father too. Until my whole robe was covered with flowers. And what they didn't know is under the flowers, I was bleeding. When I went upstairs and I pulled all the roses off, all of my clothes had blood stains in them. Because being a father is bloody. It looks rosy on the outside. But it is bloody on the inside. And there are all kinds of books about women and their pain and women and their emotions and women and their careers and women today and Essence Magazine and all kinds of stuff. And when it comes to man's magazines, all they try to do is show you how to be more sexy. Because all they think we are is sperm. So we have no context. Can I teach this morning? I'm not going to shout to you this morning. Can I teach you? We have no context when we see the blood. I want to thank every father who stood up to the pain and secretly wiped away the blood and didn't quit and didn't run away and didn't hide 
and stayed, wait a minute, wait, wait, stayed emotionally available while he was personally bleeding because the first thing we want to do with pain is internalize it and the wall we build to protect ourselves from the pins they stick in us won't let their pain in but won't let our emotions out and we become numb and die though we are physically present. So just because you have a man in the house doesn't mean he's home. Home is when you don't lose your emotional language because of your personal pain. Being a dad means sometimes bleeding in silence. I'm a dad. I've been a dad for almost 29 years. I've been a pastor for 23 years. I've pastored this church here as of yesterday for 10 years. And there are times when I'm telling you I have bled in silence more than anyone will ever know. And people will say, well, pastor, you can talk to me. I'm here for you. There is something about the role of a father that says, I know I can talk to you, but this is something that I am alone going to carry. As a pastor, as a father, as a husband, there are times you're going to bleed in silence. Being a father figure is going to cost you. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you resources. It's going to cost you emotionally. It's going to cost you. And when you begin to bleed for other people, what happens is you begin to understand ever so slightly what Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was all about. See, he bled for our pain, for the pain of our sins, for all the things that we did. When you bleed for someone else and their pain, you help them find healing. It means you don't have to bleed all over them. You say, I'm going to bleed for you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to help you find the healing and the wholeness you need, even if it costs me. And in just a little bit, we're going to receive communion and we're going to celebrate the blood of Jesus. But I'm telling you as a dad, there are times you need to bleed in silence. And you say, well, that's not fair. I don't care if it's fair. It's the way God designed it. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, died for her. Being a father means you're going to have to die and bleed and lay down your life and you're not going to like it. But it's what God asks of us. Because God's heart is for fathers to embrace, to have a heart for their children. The very last book, the very last verse of the Old Testament, God is speaking prophetically and he says, I'm going to send the prophet Elijah and he is going to do something because this is my heart. And here it is. He said he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers. It's not because moms aren't important. They are critically important. I could do a whole series on the importance of moms. But in our day, in our age, in our culture, it's so easy to overlook the power of fathers and the importance of dads. Look a point to the horrors they do and the atrocities that they commit. But the power of a positive father is huge. God says, that's what I want. So I want you all to get in on this. Men, get in on it. 
It's the best thing you can do, but it will cost you because you're going to have to bleed in silence sometimes. And for those of you who would say, I need to get in on this, on the receiving end. I need someone to step in and be that spiritual father for me. Let this church be your family. You need that place to find healing, to learn to forgive, to learn to forget. Let this church be your family. And let God bring that father figure through his church into your life. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. And God, I know that we've, we've talked about some weighty things here this morning. So I'm praying that by your grace, by your tenderness, by your Holy Spirit, through your compassion, God, would you begin to move in our hearts. Those who are here this morning that need to start that process to find inner healing. God, that first step is to overlook, to forget, to forgive an offense. In no way validates, justifies, or diminishes what they did. God, it allows us to find freedom and healing and wholeness. What you desire for us. Forgetting is a gift from you. Help us to forget, to walk in forgiveness. For those of us who are here as men, as fathers, and we realize we need to step up into that role. God, help us. If it means bleeding in silence, God, then help us to bleed in silence, that our bleeding would help bring healing to someone else. And then it's all worth it because Jesus' sacrifice on the cross brought healing to us and it was all worth it. So God, help us. We can't do it on our own. We need your strength and your power. And God, allow this church to be the type of family that you created the church, that you desire the church, that you want the church to be. We may not always do it perfectly, but God, help us every day to do it better, to be more loving, more gracious, more forgiving, more kind, more tenderhearted, more sympathetic, that every person who walks through the doors of this church, whether they stay or leave, would say that, is what a family is supposed to look like. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.